Welcome to the second season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Not much is known about Alice's early life, other than she was born in 1939 and had four children with her first husband and a daughter with her second husband, Donald Prunty. Her and Dawn worked together in the early 1970s as caretakers at the historic Remount Ranch in Wyoming. Dawn was reportedly an alcoholic and died from complications in 1973. Not long after, Alice was working as a nurse at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Sheridan when she met 25-year-old Ronald Holtz, a psychiatric patient who was a helicopter gunner in Vietnam. The couple married in September 1974. The Casper Star Tribune reported that hospital records indicated that Ronald was extremely volatile, unpredictable, and impulsive. He had a history of violent outbursts and drug use and had checked himself into VA facilities 13 times over four years. During their marriage, he worked at night driving taxi cab, and one night he flew into a rage when little Erica was crying while he was trying to sleep, and he threatened to kill her. In December, Ronald was in the VA hospital again, and returned home Christmas Eve. Sometime after Christmas, Alice grabbed a 22 caliber rifle from a closet, and as Ronald slept, she crept into the bedroom. She slipped her finger over the cold, smooth trigger and pulled it back. The bullet hit him in the back of the head. She took Erica to Ronald's parents in nearby Denver and returned home to deal with what she'd done. From storage, she dug out a 55-gallon cardboard barrel and emptied the Christmas decorations. She wrapped him in blankets and placed his 175-pound body into the barrel. She rolled it out to the porch and into her car trunk. She said it wasn't easy, but adrenaline kept her going. She then drove to the Remont Ranch and dumped Ronald and the barrel 40 feet down into an abandoned mine. Alice picked up Erica and returned home. She filed for divorce in February 1975, and when Ronald couldn't be located to be served with papers, the court granted her the divorce. Meanwhile, nearby, Gerald Uden had recently married a woman named Virginia who was looking for a husband and a father for her two boys. He knew that for her it was convenience and security, but for Gerald, he fell in love with her. She asked him to adopt 10-year-old Regan and 12-year-old Richard, 
So he did. The adoption was finalized a year later in 1975. Six weeks later, she filed for divorce and Gerald was paying child support. In the late 70s, Alice confessed to murdering Ronald twice to her teenage children who were ill-equipped to deal with the bombshell. One day, she and her daughter were drinking when she very matter-of-factly said she shot him while he slept. Alice was calm and showed no emotion. Another time, her son Todd was driving her home from work and both were drinking. She repeated the story and told him she dumped his body in an abandoned mine. Todd knew exactly where that was. He'd read a children's book by Mary O'Hara that wrote about animal carcasses being dumped into a mine shaft at the Remount Ranch. He never forgot his mother's words, and her secret haunted him for years. Then Gerald met Alice and the couple wed in November 1976. Gerald was paying Virginia $150 a month in child support. Over the years, the two exes had many disagreements. Gerald said it wasn't about the money, but more about how Virginia was making life difficult for him and Alice by using the boys to drive a wedge in between them. In 1980, Gerald and Virginia were in court arguing about child support. Alice had had enough. She wanted Virginia out of their lives. It was time for Gerald to make a choice between her or Virginia. In September, Virginia took her boys to visit her mother, Claire Martin, in Riverton. On September 12th, she left her mother's and drove her Ford station wagon to Pavilion to meet up with Gerald. He was going to take the boys bird hunting, and they brought a rifle. Court records revealed that after meeting up at a corner near his home, they drove together to an irrigation canal where they stopped to shoot birds. Virginia removed the rifle from her car. The boys wanted to shoot it, but Gerald told them he wanted to test it first. He fired a shot. It was working perfectly. He turned the rifle towards Virginia and pulled the trigger. The bullet struck her in the back of the head. Then he turned the gun towards Richard, who was standing at the rear of the car, and shot him behind the ear. Reagan saw both shots get fired and ran. He tripped and fell into a ditch. Gerald quietly snuck up on him and shot him too behind the ear. He loaded their dead bodies into the car, drove to a gold mine, and hid them. Now it makes me wonder if Alice offered up some advice on how to hide a body. Gerald drove the station wagon to Dickinson Park on the edge of Choke Creek Canyon. He removed the license plate, opened the gas cap, and stuffed it with rags and paper and tried to light it on fire. When that didn't work, he pushed the car over the steep embankment. 
it fell 75 feet downward. Then the front wheels turned and stopped its descent. Gerald panicked when it didn't fall to the canyon floor. He cut branches from nearby pine trees and covered the car and fled the area. Three weeks later, the station wagon was discovered. From the substantial amount of blood in the back of the car, authorities determined there had been foul play. The blood was matched to Virginia, and police informed her mother that they now believed her daughter was a victim of homicide. Claire held on tight to the hope that the killer may have taken her grandsons to another state and that they were still alive. She set up a reward fund for any information leading to her daughter and grandsons, whether alive or dead. She wasn't a woman of means and worked hard as a laundry manager, and every payday she deposited part of her paycheck into the reward. Claire received a letter in the mail from a woman in Illinois who claimed that Virginia had been there. Then she received a mailgram saying her daughter was in New Jersey, that she was in trouble and had to leave Riverton suddenly. It was signed, Virginia. Now Claire knew it wasn't from her daughter because she never used Virginia. She always signed her name, Jin. Gerald decided he needed to move Virginia and the boys' bodies to a better place where they would never be found. He drove back to the mine, retrieved their bodies. He placed Virginia in a 55-gallon drum and Richard and Reagan in a 35-gallon drum. He sealed the steel drums and drilled holes into their sides. He loaded them onto his boat and took them to Fremont Lake. His boat bobbed in the water, and when the depth dipped below 450 feet, he rolled the barrels over the side. The water quickly flowed in, and they sunk below the surface, into the dark unknown. It was over in an instant. Seven months after their disappearance, Claire reached out to psychic John Cavings. After reading an article about how he helped police locate the body of a teenage murder victim three months after he disappeared. The Salt Lake Tribune reported that John traveled from Dallas, Texas to Wyoming. Fremont County Sheriff's Office investigator Larry Matthews invited John to participate Larry drove John around to different areas for two afternoons. John would say, I like this place, or I don't like it. In the end, John pinpointed an area he believed Virginia boys' bodies had been. A couple months later, as warm weather returned to Wyoming, the Sheriff's Office conducted a massive search with over 70 deputies in the Dickinson Park area where the station wagon had been found. They confirmed some items were found, but wouldn't reveal details in order to preserve their investigation. 
Soon after the murders, Gerald and Alice moved to the secluded hills of the Ozarks in Christian County, Missouri. The irony of the name is not lost on us. The couple settled into a quiet life and hid their secret past inside the walls of their small, one-story white house with black shutters guarding the windows. It sat at the end of a gravel lane where Gerald parked his 18-wheeler. Alice joined him on the road. They also rented 34 acres to their neighbors, Jeanette and Al, in exchange for a side of beef. The Kansas City Star reported the locals thought Gerald and Alice were a nice couple. They shopped nearby a Kay's Country store and attended school functions at their grandchildren's school. In March 1982, the FBI joined the investigation and lent its sophisticated equipment to help in the case, including developing a psychological profile of the killer. A year later, authorities were convinced that Virginia, Richard, and Reagan were dead. Police announced that they had a suspect, but did not have enough evidence to make an arrest. Alice got cancer and stopped traveling with Gerald. She survived, but stayed close to home. The Daily Journal reported that she and Jeanette spent many hours at their kitchen tables talking about grandchildren and sewing. And when Jeanette returned home from being in the hospital, Alice was there to cook her and Al dinner. Meanwhile, Todd was struggling with a secret his mother had shared a decade earlier. A secret so hideous that he eventually shared it with police in 1989. It took six years before investigators traveled to Missouri to interview Alice. In 2005, they asked her to draw her family tree. And she did, but didn't include Ronald. Officers returned the next day and asked her why she'd left him out. Alice was shocked and blurted out that her kids must have told them. Then she recovered quickly and mumbled that it was because their marriage had been very brief. In August 2007, a witness took investigators to the mine described by Alice. It was searched, but no remains were found. For 28 years, Claire held out hope that she'd one day get answers to the disappearance of her daughter and grandsons. Over the years, she praised the work that officers had carried out on their case. They never forgot about them, and neither did she. Based on new information in May 2008, the Fremont County Sheriff's Department and the Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigation descended on Gerald's old home. Along with students from the Archaeology Department at the University of Wyoming, they began digging. Authorities revealed that their excavation produced some evidence, but wouldn't elaborate on details. Another five years went by. Investigators still needed more evidence. 
in August 2013, they returned to the mine. This time, they conducted a more thorough excavation and found skeletal remains with a 22 slug in the skull. DNA confirmed it was Ronald. After 39 years, the mine had given up her secret. A month later, detectives returned to the Ozark Mountains and arrested Alice for Ronald's murder. She offered investigators information on Virginia and the boy's disappearance. Gerald, who had been out of town, driving returned the next day. When he found out Alice was arrested and had confessed, he knew it was time to finally tell police. After 33 years together, the couple who killed to be together were now apart. Claire had waited all these years, hoping for answers, but sadly, just months before she passed away at 92. Her obituary stated that Mrs. Martin spent the remainder of her life with the hope of learning what happened to them. In November, Gerald pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. Alice, on the other hand, pled not guilty to first-degree murder. The Kansas City Star reported that she was held in jail on a $250,000 bond and was facing 20 years to life. In her defense, she insisted that she had shot Ronald as he was going up to Erica's crib in a rage and that she shot him to protect her daughter. But forensic evidence proved the bullet entered his skull while he was laying down. In an interview with the Wyoming Tribune Eagle, Alice said she wished she'd never met Ronald and that she tried to find a way out of the relationship, but nobody would help. She stated that over the years she prayed God would grant her time to raise her daughter before she was caught and put in prison, which she said he had allowed her to do. And she said that there hasn't been a day she hasn't thought about it. She prayed for his soul, and that whatever the decision is, she would be comfortable with it. At her trial in May 2014, her thin, frail body sat in a wheelchair. Her white hair had thinned, her face sunken. Inside her ears were court-supplied hearing aids. Todd testified for the prosecution. Afterwards, he turned to his 75-year-old mother and said, I hate you. And later, when walking out of the courtroom, he mumbled loud enough for her to hear, I hope it was all worth it. The jury took two days and almost 13 hours to come to a verdict. Alice sat alone. Not one of her five children were in the courtroom as it was read. She was found guilty of the lesser charge of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. The Fremont County Sheriff's Office searched the lake in 2014 and 2015 with sonar equipment 
to try and recover the family's remains. But the lake is 11 miles long, a half mile wide, and more than 600 feet deep, and to date, their remains have not been found. While incarcerated, the lovebirds wrote letters to each other. Alice died June 12, 2019. The Wyoming News reported that the day after, Gerald wrote to true crime writer Ron Francel, who wrote a book about the murders. He blamed Alice for murdering his ex-wife and sons. He wrote, The murderous Alice Uden has passed on to the next life. I asked her to take ownership of Don Prunty and Virginia and the boys, but she refused. I am now free to seek total exoneration, which I intend to do. And he did. In August 2020, Gerald's request for an appeal was denied. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Judith Johnson. What would you do to free an innocent person and find the real murderer? Would you become an amateur detective and collect DNA from strangers? Well, Judy's daughter Melinda did. She lost her family, her job, and her home. But in the end, she won. Justice won. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>